2 Timothy chapter 1. Blessed assurance. We're going to concentrate on one verse today, verse 12. Uh, but we're going to back up to uh, verse 8. Begin reading there at verse 8. Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced or persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Or as many manuscripts say, what I have committed unto him. Blessed assurance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the confidence that you give us as believers. That we can go through life in your hands knowing that whatever we face, whatever trial and tribulation we encounter, we don't face it alone. Lord, you've not promised to spare us the troubles of life, but you have promised to be there. We thank you for that assurance that we've been given. God, I want to pray for those this morning who may be struggling with things in their lives that you would grant unto them that assurance that comes through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And if there are any here today who do not know Jesus Christ in a personal way, and in their hearts they know that they're in darkness, God, I pray that you would shine your light upon them today, convict them of their sin and their need of a Savior, and draw them to faith in Christ. And I pray that they would be converted. Lord, as a church, help us to live in this culture with a blessed assurance. To live lives of conviction. To be salt and light. To stand firmly upon your word. Give us the strength and the wisdom to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Surely one of my favorite Bible characters in all the Bible would have to be a young man by the name of Daniel. In 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, came in to Jerusalem and invaded Jerusalem and destroyed much of the city, the walls around the city, and the temple. And he took a large number of people from Judah away into exile there in Babylon for 70 years. 
Now Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were among that first group that was taken into captivity in 605. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a policy. He would take many of the youngest and brightest, and he would take them to Babylon, and he would try to educate them in the Babylonian ways and make Babylonian disciples out of them. And by taking many of the youngest and brightest and training them up in Babylonian ways, he hoped that they would help him as he managed some of the Jewish people. The Bible says that he set the choicest food before Daniel and his three friends. He gave them the best of everything, the best education, best clothing, best food, best beverage, everything that a man's heart could desire and yet, Verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Daniel says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was a man of conviction. And he stood on those convictions. We come to the New Testament and we meet a man by the name of the Apostle Paul and he writes to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1 he says, I want you to understand that what has happened to me has actually fallen out for the good of the gospel. Now what he was talking about there was his first imprisonment. He was under house arrest. And many in the church at Philippi were very concerned about him. They had a very close relationship with him and had ministered to the Apostle Paul on a number of occasions. And so when they heard of his captivity, they were naturally very concerned. And he says, I don't want you to worry about me. This is actually good for the gospel because as he was chained there to Roman soldiers day in and day out, he had a captive audience. And then when they got off duty, some of the most powerful men in the world would go out on the streets of Rome and they had been saturated with the gospel. Paul had witnessed to them. In fact, Paul ended up saying some are even now preaching Christ out of envy. Some out of goodwill, some out of envy. He said, but the only thing is that Christ is being preached. And in this, I rejoice. He was a man of conviction. Ah, but now we come to the book of 2 Timothy years later and Paul is back in prison again. This time, though not under house arrest but he's in a cold dark dungeon in Rome and he's facing martyrdom winter time is approaching he's cold he's cold he's in a dark place he's lonely he writes to us that many of his traveling companions have have turned away from them and he's all alone so what about now in his life we find that he still has that conviction and that blessed assurance that he had earlier. Amen? It's like a lady in our congregation told me this past week. She's been given two weeks to live and she said, Pastor, I'm okay with that. I'm not afraid to die. I'm ready. Jesus saved me. He dwells in my life and I know that he's preparing a place for me and I will soon be with him. 
I'm not worried. Blessed assurance. Folks, I want you and I to see this morning that every single one of us in here can live with that type of conviction, that type of blessed assurance in our lives every day. You see, it's not just an assurance for the saints of old in the Bible, but it's an assurance that is good for us today as well. But where does it come from? It certainly doesn't come from anything in the world because we're told that this world and the things of this world are passing away. There is no security. There is no foundation in this world. And so where does that type of conviction with its assurance come from? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. The ingredients to it. First of all, I want you to notice that it comes from a steadfast faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. Paul was trusting in none other than Jesus Christ. You know, people today believe crazy things. Back in 1997, a man who at one time had been the minister of music at First Presbyterian Church in Gastonia, back in the 1950s, he forsook the Christian faith. He started leading a cult and a number of people uh, were led away to follow him and he led them to believe that he and his nurse were the two witnesses of Revelation 11. And he led them to believe that a UFO was coming for them to whisk them away into eternity. And all of those people following the lead of this man, and they they followed his lead, they committed suicide uh, in a mansion in San Diego so that they could go and meet this spacecraft that he said was waiting on the other side of a shooting comet. People believe crazy stuff. Some people believe very comical things. Like the true story of the coffin salesman in Springfield, Illinois. He was trying to sell one of the local funeral directors his coffins, his company's coffins. He criticized his competitor's coffins. He said, our coffins are lined with real silk, but their coffins are lined with a synthetic material which may cause skin irritations. Comical stuff that people believe. Crazy stuff and comical stuff. But you know what? Paul didn't fit into either one of those categories. He believed in Jesus Christ. He was banking all of his eternity, everything about his life, everything about his ministry, everything about his eternity, he was resting upon faith in Jesus Christ to help him and ultimately to deliver him. He'd made a deposit of his life and ministry into Christ's safekeeping. He uses a special Greek word here, uh, paratheke, and that word literally means a treasure or deposit left with somebody that you completely trust. You see, there were not many banks in Paul's day that you could place your money and keep it safe. And so what did you do with your wealth? 
Well, you may hide it in a temple somewhere or you may dig a hole in the ground and bury your treasure. That helps us to understand better one of Jesus' parables about the value of the kingdom of heaven. He told a story about a man, a, a common day laborer who was out working in a field and he was digging around uh, in the ground, in the dirt, and he discovered a treasure. And the Bible says that he covered that treasure over again and he went and sold everything that he had so he could buy that field and possess that treasure. That parable is so true to life. Because it's exactly what a lot of people did in ancient times with their money or their treasure. They would bury it in a chest in the ground and hope it would be there uh, safekeeping for a later date. Well, Paul knew that Christ was, was a person that he could rest everything upon. Christ is better than a bank. A bank can be robbed. Somebody can discover your treasure in the ground and they can raid it. And steal it. And so he had put the deposit of his life and ministry and eternity. He had put everything into Christ's hand. And, and he knew that Christ was able to keep that which he had committed unto him until that day. And that's what he's saying about Jesus in this verse. He says, I know in whom I have believed and convinced that he's able to keep that which I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul is not saying that I simply know Jesus Christ as a historical figure or, or I know about him from secondhand knowledge, other people telling me about him. Rather, Paul says, I know Jesus Christ for myself. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And so I know in whom I have believed. Boy, it's amazing what had taken place in the Apostle Paul's life there in Acts chapter 9. That chapter begins with Paul being Rabbi Saul. And he's persecuting the Christians. He's going up to Damascus with letters from the high priest so he can lay hands on the Christians there, bring them back to Jerusalem, uh, put them on trial. Maybe even have them executed. And he's, he's, as he's traveling up that road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus revealed himself to him, knocked him to the ground. He saw that bright light and he said, Saul, Saul, whom are you persecuting? And he said, Lord, who is it? And he said, this is Jesus. And Paul was converted. Became one of the greatest missionaries in church history. Maybe the greatest. The persecutor became the persecuted. He identified with the believers there. And initially they were all scared to death of him. And Barnabas had to come along and say, no, he's really a changed man now. He's one of us. And when the Jews heard about what had happened to, to Rabbi Saul, they were going to lay hands on him and, and do something mean or cruel to him. And, and so the disciples had to get him out of town. And what a bold witness he became. Why? A change had taken place in his life. He said, I know in whom I've believed. And so he says here, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of any of the suffering I may be called upon to go through for the sake of the gospel because I know in whom I've believed. He was totally secure in the master's arms. Do you have that kind of blessed assurance this morning? 
You can. Seems like we live in a day filled with doubt. It's difficult to find anybody, anybody, anymore, uh, anybody anymore who really believes anything with a great deal of consistency and conviction. We live in a culture where a lot of people are telling us that, that truth is relative. Hey, just pick whatever you want your truth to be. And, and your truth may not be my truth. And, and truth changes from generation to generation. That's what we're being told these days. But Paul said, oh no. I know in whom I have believed. He had confidence for he knew the rock upon which his faith was based. What a joy his conviction was as he sat there in prison. Horace Bushness was a preacher in Hartford, Connecticut for 47 years. He was an invalid much of that time. And yet God used him in a tremendous way to preach the good news of Christ. In the last sermon he ever preached, he said, I know Jesus Christ better than I know any other man in Hartford. Man, what a great thing to be able to say at the end of your life. I know Jesus Christ better than I know anybody else. Paul had a conviction about the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The man born blind in John 9 was confronted by the religious legalists. They said to him, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anybody opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in sin, in utter sin. And so would you now instruct us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Steadfast faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what we need more of today. Those who are trusting in Christ and only in Christ and they're resting everything about their salvation and security for the future in Christ and what he's done. 
A lot of people today putting their faith in things that are not worthy of their faith. And one of these days, if they continue down that path, they're going to be sorely disappointed. But the Bible says all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will never be disappointed. A steadfast faith in the person of Christ. Secondly, I want you to notice with me what Paul had. A steadfast faith in the performance of Jesus Christ. In other words, the work of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and that he is able. He's able. Paul had a conviction about the work of Jesus Christ. It's not about my work or your work. It's not our performance. It is the work of Jesus Christ. Paul had a conviction that God is able to keep who and what has been entrusted to him. When we talk about the work of Jesus Christ, what is it that he's done? Well, let's read about it in John chapter 19, beginning there in verse 12. The Bible says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Jesus was crucified. Now why was he crucified? Well, Romans 3 answers that question. Paul says, beginning in verse 20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Folks, that is the work of Jesus Christ. The New Testament points out that he was the fulfillment of all of those old covenant sacrifices that had to be redone over and over again, just like I spoke of last week, because they were incomplete. 
They were the shadow of the real thing that was to come. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was that long-awaited, perfect, sinless sacrifice that never had to be redone over again. And that's why he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus died in your place and my place. He took my sin and your sin. He paid the debt that I could never pay. And he did so completely. To where no other sacrifice for sin ever, ever, ever needs to be made. Christ did it once for all. That is the work of Jesus Christ. His teachings were great. Men marveled at his teaching because he taught not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one having authority. But his teaching was not the primary reason for which he came. He did wonderful miracles. And in his miracles, we were to see his identity, that he's the Son of God, because only God could do the things that he was doing. But again, it wasn't chiefly his miracles. A lot of people say we're to follow the example of Jesus, and indeed we are. We ought to to try to express our faith and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But, But he's not just an example. He came to die for our sins. Because the Bible says that every single one of us, and by the way, this isn't a Baptist preacher talking, this is is the Word of God. Every single one of us, regardless of gender, regardless of race or nationality, every single one of us are under the wrath of a holy God. God God looks at wrath upon our sin, and, and He's a holy God, and He will judge it. But in His love, He sent the sacrifice to pay himself Jesus took your sin he took your hell so you could partake of his heaven and Paul said I'm banking everything upon this Jesus I'm placing my faith upon him and upon what he's, done, uh, what he's done, I'm trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. It's not about what I can do or you can do. John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you can do nothing apart from me. So Paul didn't say, I know what I'm able to do or I'm convinced what I'm able to do. Paul said, I'm convinced that he's able. He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Hebrews 7.25 says, Hence also he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, it is amazing what God can do. Luke chapter 1, the the, the angel revealed himself to, to young Mary. 
And he said, Mary, you're going to have a child. And she said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. I'm a virgin. And the angel went on to explain, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and, and, and you're going to conceive and bear a son. And you're to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. His name's Jesus, a, a, a form of the Old Testament name, Joshua, Savior. He shall save his people from their sin. And when she said, how can this be? The angel went on to say, you know, with God, all things are possible. It's amazing what God can do. God can change a life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is able to recreate you and make you new. You can be born again. You can be forgiven of any sin you've ever committed. He's able to comfort you. 2 Corinthians 1, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. John 14 and John 16, he promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He can do that all over the world for every single believer. You see, he's omnipotent, he's sovereign, he's holy God who's omnipresent. You and I can depend upon him. He's able. Andrew Crouch wrote a song about this some years ago. I thank God for the mountains and I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for the storms that He's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that He could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. He's able. You can have this same confidence that the Apostle Paul had. It's the same confidence of all the saints of old. I think of that roll call of faith in Hebrews 11. That talks about all those Old Testament saints. They all had this same conviction. There was Abraham. Abraham was convinced that God was able to lead him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and take him to a new land and build a nation out of him. And so he packed his bags, left his family, and he went. Moses was convinced. He was persuaded that God's able to, to, to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so he left the wilderness where he was tending his father-in-law's flocks. And he went back to Egypt and he confronted Pharaoh. Rahab was convinced that God was able to give the new promised land to the Israelites. And therefore she met the spies. She put them up and kept them safe. And she said, when you come into this land and God gives it to you, remember me. They all knew something. And that is that God is able to do what he says he will do. You and I can have that assurance. Ephesians 3.20 says he's able to do far exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever even ask or think. A steadfast confidence in the performance, the work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, 
A steadfast faith in the perseverance of Jesus Christ. He said that he's, I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. He had yielded everything over to the Lord in a binding commitment. He'd yielded his soul over to the Lord. The Bible teaches that our souls are the most precious possession we have, folks. Our souls are going to live somewhere for all of eternity. And that's why Jesus said, what in the world is it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very own soul? Paul had entrusted his soul's keeping to Jesus Christ to guard until he saw Christ one day. Whatever came first, Paul's death or the second coming of Christ, Paul knew that his soul and his spirit were safe in God's keeping. And also his work. He knew that God was able to guard and keep and remember his work. The Bible speaks of books that are being kept. The book of life and, and the book of remembrance that the prophet Malachi speaks of. That God is writing everything down. God remembers. God knew about every single church that the Apostle Paul had planted. He knew of every single missionary journey. You know, Paul said to the Romans, I hope to come to you, and from you I hope to go westward into Spain. We don't know if he ever made that trip to Spain, that fourth missionary journey. We, we would assume not. We don't read anything about it, but scholars wonder. We don't know, but guess what? God knows. God remembers what we do for him. Mary took that alabaster uh, jar full of precious ointment and she broke it and, and anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and, and the disciples were standing back saying, what a waste. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She's anointed my body for burial." And what she's done for me, wherever the gospel is preached, what she's done will be remembered. The sheep and goats passage. Jesus said to the sheep on his right hand, enter into my kingdom. They, they said, Lord, what, what do we do? Well, when you, when you fed the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. He went on in that, in that passage to say even a, a cup of cold water given in his name will be remembered. He remembers. And the promise here is whatever has been committed to him or entrusted to him, he's able to guard, he's able to keep until that day. Now folks, that's security. You've heard me say many times, I believe in the security of the believer. And I do because I think it's what the Word of God teaches. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Folks, if you could lose it, it could not be called eternal life. You might have to call it five-year shelf life or 20-year shelf life. But you couldn't call it eternal life. 
Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.30 says, And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Romans 8.38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Peter in 1 Peter 1 says that we're to praise God because He has provided for us to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. You hear what Peter is saying there? God has this inheritance laid up in heaven for the believer that he's saving until that day. And then he's at work now in the life of the believer until you get there and receive that inheritance. He's at work at both ends, preserving you for that which He has promised to you. I believe in the preservation of the saints because I believe in the perseverance of the Savior. Paul says here, I know that He is able to guard that which I have committed to Him until that day. I have no fear that he will lose anything. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, brethren, be steadfast, unmoved, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Everything's kept. Everything's reserved. And he's the one keeping it and guarding it. Now there's something implied in this verse. That which is committed unto him until that day is that which he guards. So the question is, why would I not entrust everything over to him? Because what I entrust to him, he keeps. Two great stories of contrast in the New Testament. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. Fabulously wealthy, high position in life. Jesus said, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler turned away sad because he had a lot of possessions. He wasn't willing to let go of anything in his life and entrust it to the Lord. And he turned away sad. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, a chief tax collector, up in that sycamore tree, wanted to get a look at Jesus that day. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. Something happened there at Zacchaeus' home. He came to believe in Christ. And when he did, it changed him. He said, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm willing to repay them fourfold. Zacchaeus relinquished everything to the Lord. 
one man grasped a hold of everything and brought it back to himself and turned away sad. Zacchaeus released everything to the Lord, his life and everything he was and everything he had, and he found joy. Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. Who are you more like? Is there anything about your life you're not entrusting to the Lord? Trust your life, your soul, your salvation, everything about your life, entrust to Him. He's able to keep it. Till you see Him one day and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul said, I know that He's able to guard that which I've committed unto Him until that day. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? And as you do so, I want to ask you today, have you believed upon Christ? Are you trusting in something other than Jesus Christ to save you? I want to warn you today that you'll be disappointed. You'll be sorely disappointed. Because whatever you're trusting in besides Jesus, it can't deliver. It can't. It was never intended to. It was never created to. Only Christ can deliver. Would you place your faith in Him and Him alone this morning for your salvation? If you'd be willing to do that, I want to ask you to just pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you convert my soul? I want to be born again. Would you come into my life and change me and make me that new creation that 2 Corinthians 5 speaks of? God, do that in my life. Help me to love you and follow you. I want to trust in you and you alone. If you'll make that decision, I want to ask you to come forward and tell somebody about it this morning. Tell me. I'd like to pray with you. Jesus said we're to confess him before men. What have you entrusted to him today? Your life, your time, your energy? your talents, your gifts, your finances. God remembers it all. He's able. Are you going through trials and tribulations right now? Entrust those to Him. The Bible says cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. He can give you strength to make it through that valley. Are you facing big decisions this week, perhaps? Entrust that decision to Him. He can give you wisdom. A wisdom beyond anything you have on your own. Trust Him. And when we trust the Savior, 
we find that he does this work of assurance in us just like in the heart of the Apostle Paul to where we can stand solid on the Word of God and say, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to guard that which I have committed unto Him until that day. He can give you that blessed assurance. Father, work your work here today as only you can. You know the needs of people. I don't. You see their hearts. You see their burdens as well as their joys. Meet each person at their deepest point of need. And I pray that everyone would be able to walk out of here with this same conviction, this same blessed assurance of which the Apostle Paul speaks. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and as you do, our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens behind me. If you're that one that needs to step out and trust Christ, I, along with others, will be down front to pray with you. Maybe others that are looking for a church home where you can invest your life, get to know other believers, pray for them, encourage them as they pray for you and encourage you. We, we need each other. Maybe there are others that are facing some trials or burdens in your life and you just want to come to the altar in a public way and say, Lord, I've been trying to handle this on my own and I'm making a mess out of it. This morning, I want to hand it over to you. I want to entrust it to you.